Welcome to the Jubilee Plus podcast. I'm Abby Thomas and with me is Natalie Williams, the Chief Exec of Jubilee Plus and All Round Legend. Hello, Natalie. Hi, Abby. Great to be with you. We're going to be bringing you some brilliant content from the Churches That Change Communities Conference from 2023 this year, where we heard from amazing contributors like Toppy and Kemi Colioso, who we're going to be hearing from today. I couldn't join you in person this year, Natalie, but I did access some of the conference online from Sunny Bradford and it was brilliant. What was your experience of the weekend? Yeah, I know it was a great weekend. I feel um, tired, but I feel full of uh, gratitude. I feel very joyful because God was so clearly with us. Um, although you mentioned you listened online from sunny Bradford, it was absolutely hammering it down with rain <laughs> in Brighton. So do you know what was amazing, though? I prayed on my drive into the conference on Saturday morning. I prayed, God, stop the rain between 9 and 10 when delegates arrive. And he did. And it Brilliant. was incredible. So I'm like now fancying myself as the new Elijah or something. <laughs> Probably not quite, but um, but no, it was a great weekend. I loved it. I mean, I did use a bit of artistic license. It did rain here a lot. We went out in the evening to the this art festival in the centre of Bradford and uh, we got very wet. <laughs> okay, well, I, I was going to say that's good to know, but that sounds a little bit mean, doesn't it? But <laughs> <laughs> Where were you changing the weather when <laughs> we were out at the arts festival? Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about Jubilee Plus, Natalie, for, for people who are new new to you. Yeah, so Jubilee Plus is a charity that helps churches uh, mostly across the UK. We, we do have a few partner churches in other nations too, but we mostly help churches in the UK really to get mercy and justice in the DNA of the church so that we can help those who are trapped in poverty, who are trapped in injustice, you know, the those who are broken or vulnerable or marginalised in our communities and really help them to come up out of poverty uh, into fullness of life. And what do you hope people are going to get from listening to the Jubilee Plus podcast? I really hope that people will be inspired, uh, refreshed, particularly those who I think are heavily involved in social action and social justice. You know, the Bible says, do not grow weary of doing good. And the reason it says that is because we can get weary. Yes. So I really want people to know that Uh, to be refreshed, to be re-inspired, re-energised, to know they're not alone. It can often feel quite lonely, but actually that there are thousands of Christians across the nation who not only love Jesus, but also really, really care about poverty and justice issues. And so, yeah, also, I mean, obviously, with all the seminars coming out from this year's conference, I really am hoping people will pick up practical ideas, um, some kind of models they can follow and replicate and just that encouragement that others are uh, working hard to to do good to those in poverty in our communities. So we're going to be publishing over the next few weeks the seminars from the conference. Uh, plus, the uh, we're going to hear one of the keynote talks, Toppy and Kemi's keynote talk. We're going to hear from another keynote speaker called Natalie Williams. I'm not sure whether you've heard of her. <laughs> I, I have heard of her. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I didn't get to hear that, so I'm looking forward to hearing that over the, over this week. Uh, and we're also going to make available some shorter, encouraging messages from people who are, just like you said, following Jesus' call to love mercy, act justly, and walk humbly with God. And we're going to call that stream Tis Mercy All, which I believe is the name of your book due out when? When's your new book coming? Uh, it's coming out in June 2024 with SPCK, and yeah, it's called Tis Mercy All, the power of mercy in a polarised world. And so, yeah, excited about that coming up. Obviously, Nick, the title from the hymn, And Can It Be? So can't take all the credit, but yeah. um, I'm grateful for the hymn. 
brilliant. That sounds absolutely brilliant. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that, Natalie, when it comes out. So all those episodes are going to be available on this podcast stream. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So tell me a bit about Toppy and Kemi Colioso, Natalie. Yeah, well, I've had the privilege of getting to know Toppy and Kemi over the last couple of years uh, personally and just love, they, they really love Jesus. Toppy's been leading Jubilee Church London uh, since 2005, having joined a church planting team in 1995. And he just, he loves the church. He loves Jesus. Um, he's passionate about equipping pastors and just believers really to take God's kingdom into every sphere of their life and uh, Kemi is his wife and she's founded the Courage Conference which is a women's event um, in the summer I went to it this year it was absolutely phenomenal Uh, they're basically just a really incredible couple who like I say they love Jesus they love the church they're passionate about what God is doing in our communities. But also they have two famous sons who this year uh, won the Mercury Music Prize. No. Uh, basically the band, I know, they um, Ezra Collective. So yes, my sister, I know them. Um, well, my sister, who is um, not a Christian, but works uh, for a record label, when I told her I've got the parents of a Mercury Music Prize winning uh, a couple of guys come into my conference. She's like, how on earth have you managed to pull that off? So um, I think they might be increasingly famous because of their sons rather than their own kind of ministry. But yeah, it's all good. We're in for an absolute treat with this tour, Natalie. I think this is the first time I've ever heard anyone preach about Saul consulting the Witch of Endor from the book of 1 Samuel. Yeah, I know. Me too. I don't think I've ever heard uh, that mentioned in a in a sermon or a talk or a preach. And Yeah, it was absolutely outstanding talk from Toppy that we're about to listen to. Very Jesus-focused and very entertaining in places as well. Yeah, and and what Kemi brings at the beginning as well. I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah, really, really spoke to me today. So let's get into the moment. You've just had a time of worship at the conference and it's now time to hear from Toppy and Kemi. Good afternoon, everyone. I hope you are all well. What a joy and a privilege it is to be here. And I want to say thank you to Natalie for inviting us. Now, uh, for us as a couple, uh, we're from Jubilee Church London. We are married. (laughs) There are some people from Jubilee Church here, so at least I've got, what, five people who like me? Yeah, <laughs> only joking. Um, yeah, this, this is a first for us because uh, Natalie's asked us to share a session, to, to preach uh, uh, on the same session. Now, we have, been, we have preached together at a conference before, but we were each taking a different session. Um, so, Natalie, you do realize we're Nigerians, right? We could be here till Tuesday because <laughs> we have a whole bunch of stuff to say. But um, I'll tell you what, why don't we pray? Father God, we just want to thank you for this time. Thank you for your presence with us right through today, Lord God. And I pray, Father, as we come again to the preaching of your word, pray, Father, that you prepare the hearts of your children to receive your word. I pray, Father, that you will speak through us, Lord, that it will be your words, Lord. And I pray that everyone here will be edified and your name glorified in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen, amen. Well, I'm going to kick us off. Um, I was reading in my Bible the other day, and actually it's been referred to today as well from Luke 4. 
and uh, just reading how Jesus is tem- being tempted by the enemy and he comes to the end of all that. And in a way, it really does signify the beginning of Jesus's ministry. So he goes about, it says straight away that he goes about teaching and preaching. Well, Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth and he goes to the synagogue. And I love what it says there, as was his norm. Jesus went to church. It was like what he did. So he goes to the synagogue and um, he stands up to read. They hand him the scroll and it's the scroll of Isaiah and he opens it and he begins to read. And he begins to read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news. It says, to set the captives free, to restore sight to those who are blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I read that and I read it over and over again. I thought, what a way to just start. Because straight away, everybody just knows what Jesus is about. This is Jesus's life and this is his ministry. And so from then on, you begin to read in the gospels everything that Jesus did. And I think it's interesting for us as born again, charismatic Christians, that when you read about what Jesus did and about Jesus's life, you tend to read it for its spiritual value. And there is, that is absolutely right. You read the scriptures with the eyes of saying, Lord, speak to me. You want to hear what Jesus is going to say. You want to hear the nature, the spiritual nature of everything. And that's right. But I think sometimes we might just miss the everyday normal life of Jesus Christ. And those are the bits that actually fascinate me the most, that just the everyday things that he did. It's the kinds of places that he went to, where the Bible says that he went to the house of Matthew, uh, the tax collector, somebody who was just shunned and hated by society. That's where Jesus went. It's in the things that it says about the, the kinds of things that he did or he did not do where it says that he, he went about and he touched lepers, something that was not supposed to be done, but he did it. He touched lepers who the, the society has said they are unclean. You cannot touch that person. But Jesus went and he did it. It's in the things that he did not do. When they brought the woman to him who was caught in the very act of adultery, he did not condemn her. It's in the things, the choices that Jesus made, where the Bible tells us that he, he, he went through a Samaritan village. He chose to go through that village. He could have gone round like all the other Jewish people would have done, but he chose to go through that village because he knew that there was somebody there who needed to encounter him. Somebody who had been shunned and ostracized and marginalized by society that needed a touch from Jesus. And he went there just to meet that one person. Oh, there are so many things that Jesus did in his everyday life. That as you read it, you recognize that actually that is what he has called us to do. And I thank God because I am really preaching to the choir here because many of you are doing the things that Jesus called us to do. I mean, the life, the works of Jesus are con- continued in the Acts of Apostles Apostles, as they went about doing good as well. And the Bible says to us, you know, truly, truly, we too will do the works that he did and even more wonderful works that he has called us to do. And sometimes you read the life of Jesus and think, how can I do things that are more wonderful than you, Lord? I mean, you are Lord, but that's what the Bible says. 
that even greater things will we do? And then I began to think, gosh, how can we, mere mortals, just do greater things than Jesus did? And then I went back to what it says in Luke, where it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And that's the key. It's by the Holy Spirit. He has anointed you to do the things that he has called you to do. There is another verse that I love in, the, in Acts 8 where it says that Philip was led by the Holy Spirit to join a particular chariot. And we all know the story. He encounters a guy and he leads him to, to Christ. He was led. And many of us, yes, we are doing these things, we're doing good, we are helping the poor, but I think it's important to recognize that we need the anointing, we need the power of the Holy Spirit, but also we need to hear the voice of God leading us, because you see, he leads us into different places, he leads us into different groups, but nonetheless, allow him to lead, whether it be through your paid work. Um, for me, I, I trained as a nurse, Actually, I trained as a teacher. I was going to be a teacher, and I finished my teacher training and everything. I very quickly realized, actually, I don't want to teach. Um, if you've ever been to secondary school. <laughs> uh, but I, I just didn't feel it was what God wanted me to do. I'd, maybe in those days, I couldn't really put it in these terms, but I was just not feeling it. And then I feel as if God led me to a completely different career, which was nursing. And, you know, I trained as a nurse and I worked as a community nurse for many years. And then I specialized in end-of-life care, in palliative care, nursing. And um, as a team, we, we, we covered a whole area. And the area we covered very much was an area of affluence, but then it had its area of abject deprivation, such a deprived. And like many, many, many towns in the UK, you have the rich bit and then you have the bit that is really, really deprived. And what they would often say to us is that, okay, we will allocate you an area, but every now and again, we'll get you to rotate so you don't get burnt out, especially if you're working in the hard area. Well, what I always used to say to them is actually just leave me in the hard area. They're like, Kemi, are you mad? You're going to kill yourself. I, I felt led to go to that area. I mean, okay, in the affluent area, you've got better biscuits and a cup of tea. You know, you didn't have to turn your cup around several times to find the bit that just looks okay. No. But I didn't want to go there. And so I said to my manager, I said, you know, I am just more than happy to cover this area. She said, are you sure? I said, yes. I mean, it's an area where when the lifts are broken down, you pray before you go up the stairwell. Lord, be with me. But then you began to recognize that this is how, this is, the, this is there every day. I'm just visiting once and the lifts are broken down. I want to break down and cry. But no, I'm like, come on, girl, you can do this. Nine, nine, nine flights of stairs is nothing. <laughs> and then you get into the houses and I'm there to look after a person's physical needs. And then you realize that, yes, holistic care means that you'd look after the whole person. So we're sorting out housing problems and you're sorting out kids haven't got food and they haven't gone to and and all this and you know sometimes fights will break out and you feel as if I'm in the middle of Jerry Springer and I'm thinking it's okay just hang in there but just to know that actually I was there because God had led me there I began to see actually yes it's paid work but oh my goodness 
I needed to be in that place where God has said, Kemi, that's where I need you to be. So whether it's your paid work or maybe you're here and you're volunteering, that actually God has led you to volunteer in certain areas. I no longer work for the NHS anymore. I work full time uh, for our church, but I still volunteer my time uh, for our local hospice as a grief support worker because I feel that God is saying to me, there's so much more I need you to do in there. So I'm calling you to go into that place. I mean, district nursing, it was hard, you know, just a lot of stuff that you needed to deal with. With grief work, it's hard because it's a lot of emotional stuff. But with the Spirit, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I know that God has equipped me and continues to equip me to do what I need to do. So whether it's paid work or volunteered work, or maybe you're part of a big ministry and, you know, you don't actually get to see face to face the people that you're dealing with. But yet you feel so called to that particular place. And for us at Jubilee Church, um, I, 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 we've got the min, uh, women's ministry there. And uh, part of the women's ministry called Courageous Sisters is a project that we run to reach women who are in more difficult circumstances than ourselves, far flung. And so many women get behind it. They might not see the girls that we're working with, but they get behind it. And so the project, you know, exists, it's a hostel, it's called, one of the things we do there is a girls' hostel, hostel called Syringe Girls' Dormitory, and um, it was actually built by a different charity entirely, furnished by a church, and then Jubilee Church comes alongside and begins to fund the girls to stay there, and it exists there because there are these girls who live in the far-flung villages in Zambia somewhere, and they wanted access to education. And so they will come to the town centre, they won't have anywhere safe to stay, and they will live in such vulnerable situations. So they were getting abused, they were getting raped, they were getting pregnant, and many of them were not finishing their education. But also a girl in Zambia who is in school means that they are escaping child marriages as well. And so the hostel exists and we get all these girls and we have them in the hostel. And we're not just, I think we've got some pictures, we're not just um, keeping them safe, but we're ensuring that they have an education. And some of them have gone on to higher education and skills training. And um, we also teach them the word of God. We put Bibles in their hands. And only a few of us actually get to go there, but there's so many other people who I know God has put it on the inside of their heart to support it. And I think it's the same with many, many other ministries that you are probably involved in. But why am I telling you all this? Well, I'm telling you all these stories because in everything that God has called you to do, yes, like I say, pray. He's anointed you. Pray for God's Holy Spirit to help you begin to hear, God, where are you? What are you leading me into? Where are you leading me? And in it all, that we begin to grow in our calling, grow in that walk, grow in everything that God has called us to do, and to begin to harness it, but also begin to recognize that we don't do it in our own strength, that we do it in his strength. And my prayer for you is that well, everything you're doing, yes, it's hard, yes, it's tough, that you recognize that you're not doing it in your own strength, but you're doing it in the strength of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you shout amen? amen. Thank you. Um, Kemi. <laughs> really, thank you, Natalie, for inviting me and inviting us. Like I said, the first time that we're doing it like this.
and um, and uh, yeah, let me just you know, Jubilee Church, uh, our church, and some of the people from our church are here, and they're here every year. It seems you know, and they um, they love it; they never miss it. Uh, we we they learn so much from it, and. Um, and you know, when it, when the time is coming up for this moment, somebody would say to me, usually Dave will say, "Oh, by the way, the whole Jubilee Plus is going on, so some people are going to be going there." And um, you know, they're always thrilled and eager. They go and they come back with ideas, um, costly ideas. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> not really. Yeah. They come back with ideas and so on, and. Um, Honestly, we are huge beneficiaries, really. We're huge. We benefit a lot from all that goes on here. And uh, so I'm grateful. The fact that we gained so much for me to add, for us to add something small to it, is a joy and it's appropriate. So uh, I'm glad that I'm here. Thank you, Natalie, for, for inviting me. Um, I know that the first session I was here for it, I was so blessed, Natalie speaking, and... Uh, spoke so much about what we do, why we do what we do, and what is out there. And in this, my own assignment here, my session here, is I won't speak so much about the service that you do and the practical work as much as I'll speak about perhaps your own soul care as you walk with the Lord. And my prayer is that it will be helpful and be a blessing to you. In Luke chapter 3, the Bible says, that in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother, Philip, he was tetrarch of, you know, uh, uh, it, uh, I can't remember the Itonicus and then and some other region. And then somebody else, you know, Leninus, he was tetrarch of Abilene. And the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate was governor. Herod was tetrarch. And on it was. Annas and Caiaphas were priests and priesthood at that time. And the word of the Lord came and it went all the way to John in the wilderness. I think maybe God is trying to say he doesn't need political power to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. Not political power not regional powers, not even spiritual powers that are locked in a synagogue somewhere where the high priests at that time were not really walking right. The word of the Lord came and it went to a guy who was hardly known in the wilderness. Went to a guy who didn't look like the rest of the people seemed like an outdated, outcast person. That's the one that the word of the Lord went to. 
and he would have the joy and privilege of speaking and sharing and preaching so that about the God of heaven and a kingdom that is at hand, he would go from that to link it to people who were lost. It turns out he was the one in the gap. Maybe like you and I have been called to be. Sometimes when the church is marginalized, sometimes that's where it's supposed to be in order to make the point that needs to be made. And then it comes back into the center. John the Baptist, he was not the light, the Bible tells us. He came to give testimony regarding the light. I'm quoting John chapter 1 where he says, therefore, he's not the light, but he came to reflect the light. And he ushered in when he said the kingdom of God is at hand, as close as your hand is. It's that close. Maybe another lesson to draw from those few verses from Luke chapter 3 is there are probably two types of leaders or servers. Those who serve with natural, those in the natural and those who are spiritual. And it's all good. Those in the natural, they serve with because they see the pragmatic need, and so they give help. Sometimes they see, they serve from an empathetic heart. They have empathy. They see and say, I can't just stand by and ignore what I just saw. Some, from a political standpoint, there are legislations to be written out and done and so on. Some, just the principle of it. And that's what, if you like, drives the heart to do those things. And yet there are some others that they have those things, but there's a difference. They're spiritually driven. They are moved and driven and guided by the Holy Spirit. They're led by the Spirit. They hear the voice of the Lord. They obey the voice. They tremble at his word. And both are needed because they are both godly, they are both biblical, both are needed. And I guess what I'm wanting to bring to you today, and Natalie said it already when she was speaking, there are lots of people that offer help with more resources sometimes and sometimes even more passion. But there is a difference. There is supposed to be a difference between us and others. Where the idea is not to talk down others, but there is supposed to be a difference. And the difference is by the Spirit that we hear a voice who leads and guides and tells us what to do and where and how. There's a breed of people that God is wanting. They hear a voice and they respond to it. They're not noisy. They're not show-offy. They're ordinary, it seems. And yet the word of the Lord is with them. And the wisdom of the spirits is upon them. And they're just different. We need to be people who hear the voice. And then when we hear it, obey it. 
Bible shows us there are different, various ways that God speaks. He speaks through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. He speaks through the scriptures, obviously. This is the word, one. The word, singular, word. It's a unit, and the scriptures cannot be broken. The word of God. And we can go on and on. Audible, prophetic words, and so on. But by far, the clearest, most critical way for us to hone in on how God speaks today is by his son, Jesus Christ, who said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, they obey. And I give them eternal life, which is not just a duration of life, it's a quality, it's a certain type of life that they have that others will see and think it's different. And they will not perish. And while we're at it, no one can snatch them out of my hand. My sheep hear my voice. And so if there are so many various ways that God speaks, and clearly through his son, why then is there an epidemic of spiritual deafness among his children? Why is there? Why is, is it just that it has become a forgotten discipline how to hear the voice and respond to his dictates? We need it. And there are different causes of spiritual deafness. Distractions, for sure, is one of them. We are very easily distracted. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. There are a million things to distract you in a moment. I, you only have to open your eyes and it's gone. It's the voices that create the distractions. From the voices that come at us to the news reels to just normal life to the voices of those who need help, to which we feel we have been sent, to hear their voices so much so that it crowds out the voice of the one who sent you. If you don't hear him, you will, you will, re, you will change the assignment because you're not hearing the voice. It happens by distance. If we're distracted, before you know it, you're, if we can veer off course and not recognize, not realize it. And it can be so far uh, so that you no longer relish spiritual things. Susanna Wesley says that. You know, he said, this to you becomes sin when you no longer relish spiritual things. It's a phenomenal definition of sin. It's wider than that. But that sin is not just I did something wrong in that sin. It's like I used to love him and be hungry for him. And now it's gone. It's a distance. When that happens, we don't hear the voice. And when that happens, it's easier to disobey him. It's very easy to disobey him when you're not hearing the voice because the voice doesn't just give direction. The voice keeps you in proportion and sets you within the right boundaries 
so that your life is pleasing to him. And if they were disobedient, then I, deceitfulness becomes the norm. I will no longer blush. Jeremiah says that. Perhaps one of the worst ones is dependence. That we don't hear the voice because <clears throat> we've learned to be dependent on another source. <clears throat> we've learned to be dependent just on another source. And when we do that, we no longer depend on him. And a distance happens and a spiritual deafness sets in. And you don't realize it because the nature of deafness is slowly goes and slowly goes on. So you end up learning to just read the signs and make it up as you go. And say, I was sent by the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 28, there's a story there, the story of Saul. Saul, you know his story well. He's a king who was a reluctant king. They didn't want to be king, but people made him. They wanted him to be king, so the people so wanted it that God signed off on it. Not that God went to pick one. They wanted one, and so God signed off on it. And there they are going, saying, it's the Lord's will. Well, maybe not quite like that. We, we, we choose some of our projects that way. Anyway, he's king for a while. He has a whole lot of insecurities in his heart. He was reluctant to be king. Now he's king. He wanted more than anything and would kill anyone that gets in his way of tampering with his throne. Samuel dies. Samuel actually loved Saul. Samuel dies. And when Samuel is dead, the whole nation comes out to honor him. And they honored him because there was just none like him. This is the same Samuel called when he was young and he heard the voice. And he followed all his life, the voice. And now he led the nation because he was hearing the voice. Now he's dead. And the whole nation honors him. Even Saul, who had gone away from God, really... Even Saul decides to honor him. And so one of the things he does, he, he banishes all the witches and witchcrafts and necromancers. He banishes them from the land that they're to be gone. Yeah, you know, you read the profile of the guy, you realize, yes, it's, it's a good thing he's doing, but it's a show. It didn't really mean it. You read his profile, he was the kind of guy that it's just a show. But he did it. He banished them all. Little, not long after that, the Philistines come to war with Israel. And Saul, the Bible says, he sees them. It says, and his heart trembled within him. Think about that. His heart trembled. He shook just seeing it. So what he does, he needs to know what God, what, how God can help. Now he wants the help of God. And so he tries to speak to find out how God can help him. And the Bible says this, but God would not answer him, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, 
nor by the prophets. God didn't answer him. And so it is. That because God didn't answer him, these are the different ways that God, because God didn't answer him, he's, he's scared and fearful and perplexed, doesn't know what to do. And then, and then he inquires, because one of his servants says, well, he asks, is there any, any witches around? Any, 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 any spirit, any mediums? And one of his servants says, well, well, I mean, there is one. She's the witch of Endor. The medium in Endor. She lives far out there. She'll tell you what to do. She's good. Saul puts on his robe, puts on his garment, and he goes outside the boundaries of God. He goes outside the camp. Because all he wants to know is what to do from the Lord. It seems so good. He goes outside, he gets there, and the witch of, to the witch of Endo. And he has to disguise himself because he's the one that banished them. And now he's back there. And the witch sees him and says, well, what do you mean you want me to? She's, he, says to he says to her, divine for me a spirit. Conjure up someone from the dead. I'm sure you know, but in case you don't, this is forbidden. <laughs> Just make clear. <laughs> and she says, I if I do such a thing, you know what the king Saul has said, I'll be executed. To which Saul says, I tell you by the Lord, you will not be executed. Are you seeing how his life is a mixture. He, where he knows how to tout the name. But he does something very different. Oh, by the Lord, I say, I say to you, nothing wrong will happen to you. So the witch of Endor says, who is it you want to call up? She says, Samuel. Oh. Okay, so now he wants to hear the word of the prophet. The witch does her thing. You know? I don't know how to do it because I'm not a witch. <laughs> but she must have, I'm guessing there must have been a hand wave. <laughs> and she does it and Samuel appears. Uh, theologians have a field day trying to work out what in the world is going on. You know, they're thinking, oh, really, can a witch really call? I, I, honestly, I just think, just like uh, the Mount of Transfiguration where Elijah and Moses appear, I think in that moment, God made Samuel to show up, not that, they, not that the witch conjured. And the reason I say that is this. She does her thing. Samuel goes up and she goes, ah! So she wasn't expecting that. <laughs> she can't be very good. <laughs> I mean, you should not go to a witch. If you're going to go to one, go to one that works. <laughs> she looks at Saul and says, you tricked me. It's you, Saul. It's you. So it's the king. And what is going on? It's a horrible story. And so, 
Saul speaks to Samuel, what shall I do? Long story short, Samuel says, for all the things you've done, you're going to die. And your children are going to die. And all your works will be as dead works. I'm paraphrasing. The Bible says to you and I, the Lord is your God. So you might want to be careful the voices you listen to. There are all kinds of voices in the name of the prophetic these days that make me scratch my head and think, is that prophecy from the Lord? Because I see everything, all the trinkets around it and all the, is that really? The Bible tells us very clearly, be careful now. You have nothing to do with horoscopes and Ouija boards and fortune telling and tarot cards and on and on and on, hypnotism and witchcraft and the occult. We have nothing to do with that. Have no dependence on the demonic or necromancy. And I know that nobody here would do such a thing. You're too far gone in your walk with the Lord. What should Saul have done when he asked God and the Bible says, and the Lord did not answer him by Urim or by the Theomene or by the prophet? What should he have done? He should have waited on the Lord. And well, what, if he, what if the Lord doesn't say anything? Then you wait on the Lord. You wait. And you don't get to dictate when he comes. He will come when he comes. And frankly, the whole thing is a test. Saul, in characteristics, Saul way, he could not wait. I think that for you and I, our danger is not than going to a necromancy or going to a medium. Our danger of dependence is on self. It's on self. It's on the pragmatic. Dependence on ability. Dependence on our experience. And when that happens, uh, your structures begin to replace the scriptures. Strategies begin to replace the voice of the Lord. And your serving will be so because the pragmatic will work. It has a way of working. And it will work and grow and grow so large and you will carry it everywhere and tout the numbers of how many were fed. It will grow larger and larger until it's so large that you, it, it weighs you down and you adopt, you know what posture this is? The posture of worship. So you end up worshiping the task you were doing. Reminds me of the king in the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar, who says, this great Babylon which I have built with my own hands. He lost his mind in the end. If we're not careful, the task becomes the new thing we worship. And it becomes an idol. And it dictates everything in your life. And like so, we will say, but it's just for the Lord. But is it though? Is it? In other words, what is driving it? 
What is fueling it? Because this Lord, you will see, he wants to save the whole world. And yet, he's not just about what is large and impressive. He's about the one. I think in the, in, the, in the end days, whenever those are, and whenever they are, for sure we're closer to it now than 50 years ago. The distinctive feature amongst those who are serving in the name of the Lord, the distinctive feature will be those who hear the voice and respond to it and move according to it and those who don't. This will be the difference. There will be first responders to the situations. And then there will be those who first respond to the Lord. Who then directs their path in all that they do. And it was your night to be the latter. Because then we have a wisdom that the world hasn't seen. And when people come around us, they feel it's just different with them. It's a gentle, beautiful passion, and it works. They will say things like, I don't know how they do it, but it works. And then the world will come to the church and say, can you help? Which is why learning to cultivate hearing his voice is critical. And though you know it, I remind you of it because it's important. And whatever it looks like learning to cultivate hearing his voice, stillness is involved. To learn to be still. Be still and know that I am God. And I will be exalted. Whatever it looks like... Silence is involved to calm your soul and your spirit. The Lord is in his temple. Let the whole earth be silent. You need it more than you realize because the nature of what you're doing will commandeer your attention every time and it will have the dictating voice. No matter what it looks like, the scriptures are involved. Because thy words were found and I did eat them and they were a joy and a delight to me. Jeremiah says. Very often a song is involved. Where you sing to the Lord. Because a song has a way of really touching the heart and coming from the heart. A sacrifice is involved. I'm describing what perhaps your quiet moments or your prayer times can look like. Because this is where I go in my own life every time. I need to get back to that. The submission is involved. Where in those moments, whatever he says to you, do it. John 2, 5. Whatever he says to you. And yes, supplication is involved. The supplication where he is, where you get to ask, it means to ask. 
And you will find that when you do this, you would ask not just, you will ask not just for yourself anymore. The more you're close with him, the more you're close to him, the more you commune with him, you will find your prayer changes. It, it's less about you and what you need and want. It becomes more about him, honoring him, and about the people that need to know him or be connected to him. It will just happen ever so slowly and one day you realize you're the man in the gap. And it's on purpose that way. You're the man in the gap. However you do it, for me, I sit down. I have a corner in my house where I sit. I wake up in the morning from my bed, I'll say, you know, good morning, Jesus. Uh, I like to say that because I open my eyes and sometimes I have to think, where am I? <laughs> you know, am I at home? Am I in a travel lodge? Am I, where am, where am I? You just, just, just take a few seconds. And um, open your, just think, where am I? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But your eyes, you opened your eyes. While you were, the whole time you were asleep. He was not asleep. Because he doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber. And he insists that you sleep. Because there's no point both of you being awake. He wants you awake when he tells you to be awake and he wants you asleep that you may rest. And so I get there in the morning. Good morning, Jesus. I like to say hi. I think it's nice. I have a place my Bible will be there. But I just want to sit for a while and be still and just be still you may just find it's been a long time that you've just been still And in that moment, I'll be silent. Because my, my, my heart needs to be silenced and quieted. You know, the psalmist talks about that. But like a child, I have quieted my soul within me. And to just wait on the Lord. I have a Bible passage that I'm going to read. It's been pre-planned. I know where I'm going. At the right time, I'll open and read slowly because I'm not trying to finish the Bible in a year. I came here to meet a person. His name is Jesus, the Son of the Living God. And he hasn't put a task on me to finish this by then. 
He just wants to be with me. And I and now I am learning the joy of being with him. And I wanted to more than anything I wanted. And so I will sit. You know, you think of the words, um, you know, all oh, to grace, how great a debtor. And daily I'm constrained to be. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. So let thy goodness, like a fetter, Bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught. That I might sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my heart, my soul within me. The Lord has opened my ears and I was not reluctant. He opened it and I was not disobedient. Isaiah says that. What's the point of all of this? This is where you get refilled. This is where you get filled again. This is where you get all that you need for your daily task. Because this is where you get your daily bread. And if you forfeit this, you forfeit more than you realize. Because you will like Saul lapse into doing it in the flesh. And it will go some. You will preach it in the flesh. You will lead it in the flesh. You will stand before them in the flesh. You will feed them in the flesh. You will go home excited about yourself and what you have done. You may arrogate it to the Lord. But something is leaking and you are not paying attention. And it's not wise. Because you will end up trying to contact the dead when you could have communion with the living. When I walk, I get to the Julie Central, our, our build, church building. I, I, I really work from home. And then I get up to go meetings. It will be somewhere in the afternoon. I'll get into the building. Open the front door. I have my access. And instead of going upstairs where I'm supposed to have my, where I have my desk, I will walk through the building. It's just what I do. I walk through the building, say hi to this one, say hi to that one. The food bank holds in the same building. I'll walk right through it. Sometimes the food bank is there, sometimes it's not. I'll walk right through. But the whole time I am walking, because I know why this building was built. 
It was built to be a house of prayer for the nations. It was built to be that from here, the name of Jesus be known everywhere. And when I walk through and I see the food bank people, they're doing their run. Half of them don't even know who I am. They're doing their things and so on. And I'm praying in me, inside. May they learn to sustain with a word, him who is weary. That you can have a word as you give it to them. You can even have a look. You can have a smile. It's you become the ministry. They're just being amongst them. When they have tables these days, we have the, and we get them to sit down. Where you don't have to quote any Bible verse, but be with them and speak to them. So that when they walk away, something is deposited in their spirit. And they know that was different. This is what we've been called to do. And moments will open up that they hear the gospel. Moments will open up. You get to open your own life. But you will not sustain him who is weary. If you haven't been in the presence. You will just be a functionary. A professional. Where you do what you do. And you will be impressed by being the first responder. But you're not close to the Lord. This is where my hope is found. This is where my joy is filled. This is where direction is given. This is where I'm reminded that I am a, I am a child and he is the Lord. And I don't have to finish my to-do list. This is where my anxieties confront his clarity and peace comes by his grace. You need this. You need this. Because if you don't, you will become exhausted and burnt out. And the line that says, I'd rather burn out for the Lord than rust out for the Lord has set up a dichotomy that is foreign to the scriptures. You don't have to burn out. You're supposed to burn bright for him. Three quick things from the scriptures and I'll leave it. Probably the most powerful prophet in the Bible, Old Testament, Isaiah, um, Jeremiah, uh, Elijah. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're all in my head somewhere. <laughs> One of them. Elijah does all this commanding. Donald's, you know, there will be rain, there will not be rain. I mean, that's shocking. He does all of these amazing things. And then he's exhausted. Between his exhaustion and his restoration is the voice of the Lord. First Kings chapter 19. The, the still small voice, a whisper. There is no substitute for the voice. Story two, Jesus goes into the house of Martha and Mary, and he is there. Mary is sitting. 
he is teaching. Martha is upset. And she comes and says to him, Master, do you not care? It's quite a big thing to say. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious, you're troubled about many things. One thing is needed. Mary, it's a choice, has chosen it, and it won't be taken. Between Martha's frustration and hopefully her restoration, is the word in the middle. There is no substitute for the voice. Matthew 25, the last one, says, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins and they have their lamps. They come with their lamps. Five were wise, five were foolish. The foolish ones came with a lamp, but they did not take extra oil. The wise ones came with the lamp, but they had extra oil. And so it is that they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. But the bridegroom is a long time coming. He's delayed. They didn't expect it's going to take this long. They thought it would be a sprint, and it's not. And they all fall asleep, which is an indication of all of this is happening in the normal routine of life. And then there's the midnight cry. And with the midnight cry, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. And then all quickly, they, be, they wake up. All 10 of them were asleep. All 10 of them woke up. And then they trimmed their lamps to get ready. And it's in that moment that the five foolish ones, the, the, the fire is there, but it's almost gone out. And they look to the others and says, can you, can we, can you give us some of your oil? I'm afraid, I'm afraid not. I can't. Because if I give it, there won't be enough for us and for you. Everybody loses. So what do you do in that moment? Only now do the foolish ones get up to try to go out to buy some from the dealers. But before they came back, their intention was, I'll go out, do this, and then I'll come back. I'll go out from this ministry that God has handed to you to serve people. I'm just saying, I'll go out from you and come back. They never made it back. They never made it back. Who knows? Perhaps when I read it, in my mind, it's like the lamp, it's like the ministry. The fire, it's like the passion that you have. The oil is like the Holy Spirit that fuels it. If the spirit is not there, if these moments are not there, something begins to die in the routine of life. And then you end up trying to piggyback your ministry on somebody else's ministry to make this thing go. And they're like, I, I can't carry that. 
And now says, I'm going to find out how to get this, my ministry going. You're going back out. You're supposed to not be there with the dealers. You're supposed to take. You're supposed to have the oil with you. My prayer is that we will not just be workers, but worshipers. People who the Lord will say of us, they spend time with me, says the Lord. That you love him and not let the nature of the work take anything away from you. That you spend time with him first. You cultivate it. And out of that you minister. And he has a way of making the little things you do go far further than you can imagine. And when we do this, you will be edified. Jesus will be glorified. And efficiently you will find you stand in the gap and you are not crushed. May the Lord teach us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much to Toppy and Kemi Colioso for that incredible talk. Natalie, what, what did you think? Yeah, it was such a brilliant talk. So helpful just to be reminded um, by Kemi about just that Jesus is with us in the everyday, that he's positioned us, no matter whether we're on staff in a church or a social action ministry or volunteering or whatever our job is, that Jesus has put us where we are um, for good. Uh, mm. But also just that, uh, just provocation from Toppy to make sure we're listening to God's voice and not other voices. And I think from my own experience of social action is we can so often listen to voices around us, uh, even even the voice kind of within us, our own internal monologue, and miss the voice of God. So I've just yeah. found it so helpful and just a real challenge as well about stillness and silence. I'm not great at that. Mm. And I felt like, yeah, I need to apply what Toppy has brought here and I need to put that into practice in my own life. Yeah, I always feel convicted when people talk about personal disciplines and it was just great to hear Toppy spell that out so clearly, just how he spends his time. It was, I've not, again, I've not heard that before um, from someone giving a preach just to be very clear and um, unashamed, I guess, that this this is how I spend my time. This is what my priority is. Um, it's just so key to a healthy life, isn't it? You know, we talk about Micah 6 verse 8, um, you know, acting justly, loving mercy and, and walking humbly. But the walking humbly is such a key, walking humbly with God is such a key part. Yeah, absolutely. That. Yeah, definitely. I mean, God's obviously put those three things together in that verse, Micah 6 verse 8, deliberately. And I know for me, I've um, undergone a radical change in my own personal disciplines mm. in the last couple of years. So really since taking on the leadership of Jubilee Plus, I now get up at six every day, uh, six days a week. Um, whereas in the past, I was always like an evening person. I would stay up till one or two in the morning, much prefer to get up at eight and, mm. you know, would kind of do my prayer time and all that, but on the go. And now in the mornings, uh, I, I'm not super disciplined, so it doesn't happen every single morning, but I now I have a prayer time every morning. I read my Bible every morning. And then the bit that's a little bit more haphazard is exercising and reading in the mornings, like reading books in the mornings. But mm. I try to. And that first three hours of the, of the day has become my most precious time of the day. Mm. And just love it. But, yeah, we can't really do well, not for the long term, acting justly, loving mercy, if we don't do the walk humbly with God 
bit. So yeah, super helpful to remember that. And and yeah. I definitely want to now think about how do I introduce that stillness and silence into my morning routine as well. Yeah, yeah. It's just pri- prioritizing that, isn't it? That time with Jesus is absolutely key. And it's not that you, like I've heard people say, oh, your day goes better when you spend time with God. And I think well, it's not necessarily that your day goes better, but that you are more centered and you are um, you're just able to cope with what life throws at you when you know where you stand before the Lord is it's just key isn't it yeah absolutely and and I mean even that though it doesn't always work that way does it I mean I've had wonderful times in the presence of God and then five minutes later I don't know I've <laughs> bumped into my neighbor or I've picked up an email and something's like and then I'm super grumpy and it's but yeah. I think the point is it's giving for me it's become about dependence an expression of mm. dependence that God I don't want my day to happen without you being front and center and I used to think I could do that with praying whenever throughout my day but for me personally now it's got to be the where I start my day Mm. I think all that helps with what he said about um not worshiping our the task that we've been given I found that really helpful um not making that an idol the um the ministry that we have whatever that looks like um I know for me, sometimes my, th- my thoughts can go a lot to what's going on and, and um, the jobs and the tasks that I've got to do. But actually, that's not what, I'm, what, I, what I worship or who I worship. Yeah, definitely. And, and I thought that was such a helpful point um, he made about how, are you carrying your task so much so that, that it's weighing you to the posture of bending over and worshipping it. Mm. And just I think, again, when it comes to social action and justice when it comes to like kind of mercy ministries the need around us is great and is growing uh that's obviously something I talk about in my keynote which um will come up on the podcast uh, <laughs> shameless little plug there but I'm looking forward to it <laughs> yeah, thank you but you know it's, it is so important that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and it's one of the things that actually one of the best bits of feedback I get about the Jubilee Plus conference every year is that for a conference which is all about social action and social justice, we are very much committed to the focus being Jesus, not the need around us, not our own ability to meet that need or inability more likely to meet that need, not our own sense of call or um you know, sense of burnout even or whatever it might be. Those things are important to focus on, but our primary focus must be Jesus. And we must, that's why worship is such a key part of our conference as well, mm-hmm. because we, we want to make sure that we, even several points throughout the day, keep coming back and going, this is about Jesus. It's, mm-hmm. it's not about us. It's not even about those in poverty. It's about Jesus. Um, so I love it when I get that feedback because it means, wow, that's what we intended to do. So yeah, yeah, it's it's great to know that people are saying, yeah, you've you've done it. Yeah, and you could even sense like down the line, so to speak, um, just that sense of joy and and worship and just warmth. You think you just got the feeling that everybody was there with that heart that you know, obviously they they want to um, act justly, but they also really were there to worship Jesus. It's great. Yeah, no, I love it. So we're recording this the day after the conference, Natalie. How are you? How are you feeling? How are you going to relax now? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm pretty tired. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's that kind of joyful tired. It's the, um, yeah, that kind of, you know, God was with us, 
And when you measure success, you can measure it in all sorts of ways. And some of them, I, I'm a very details person, so I might get into a did we have enough biscuits out in the break kind of level of detail, but just <laughs> actually take some time and go, was God with us? Was God speaking to people? Uh, were people adoring Jesus? Were they networking and connecting with others who fueled their passion for Jesus and their passion for those trapped in poverty? And the answer to all those things is yes. So the rest of those little detaily things don't matter as much. Um, and just to remind myself of that. But yeah, I'm going to take some time off. So I've got a couple of days work this week just to kind of do post-conference related things. And then I am going to have uh, two weeks off, which I'm really, really looking forward to just completely switching off, completely getting my head into a different place. Um, You're going anywhere and- nice? Uh, I am actually I'm going to visit friends who are church planting in the Philippines oh my goodness I know like never been kind of there so a friend and I from the church here in Hastings who kind of sent this couple and their three kids to church plant just under two years ago and you know anyone who's been church planting it's hard it's especially hard when you've moved to completely to the other side of the world and so we're going really to hopefully encourage them um, spur them on in what they're doing and I'm really looking forward to, this is going to make it sound now not like a holiday because I was going to say I'm really looking forward to seeing all the social action work they do yeah you need uh, to rest are you going to go and lie on a beach please tell me uh, you're going to go and lie on a beach I, I think I think there's one day when we're going to be on an <laughs> island which is apparently really beautiful but no it, it really I won't be reading my emails I you know it's another country it's another context I'm going with one of my best friends so yeah, it's. I, I think it's going to be great. And what a privilege to get to go like somewhere that different, that extraordinary. Um, looking forward to the food, uh, looking forward to being in a different culture. I would say I'm looking forward to the sunshine, but apparently the humidity is really intense. So <laughs> not quite sure about that. But, you know, yeah, just it's a real privilege to be able to do that and to be able to take that time out and go somewhere so extraordinary. Um, I couldn't have even dreamt of that. I don't even think I'd have even heard of the Philippines when I was a kid, uh, you know, growing up in relative poverty. So what an extraordinary privilege that I get to go and do something like this and yes. spend some time off in such a beautiful environment. So I'm really excited wait. for you. Tell us in how, how it is when you get back. Um, and thanks to everyone to jo- for joining us on the Jubilee Plus podcast. It's been great to be with you and such a privilege to be able to share this content with you. So make sure you subscribe and you can find out when uh, the new episodes come out. And our next episode will be with you. Natalie, you won't be hosting that one with me. I'm going to be hosting that with Rachel Wilson. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing hearing your keynote address. I did oh, catch a little you. bit of it on online, but I haven't heard the full thing yet. So I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, thank you. And how weird would it be if I hosted like with you that episode as well? Yeah. Like, and now we've got this amazing speaker. <laughs> I think it would probably undermine everything I've said about walking humbly. Yes. <laughs> Yes, well, we'll record. You go on holiday and we will record and you can not think another thing about it. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So do check out the show notes attached to this episode on your podcast app and you will find out more about Jubilee Plus, more about Toppy and Kemi and more about the Courageous Sisters Project, which Kemi has founded and is absolutely fascinating and and brilliant. And I look forward to being back with you with Rachel Wilson for our next episode. Shelter